I think the GIS analyst path is easier to understand and get into because I think it, it marries up with the IT pathways which exist. I didn't find it easy to carve out a career as a geographer, but then that could have been because I was asking in the wrong places. Welcome to the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. Today on the show, you're going to be hearing from Sarah Teigl. She is a GIS fluvial specialist and she has had a particularly interesting career. Um, I'll let her explain more about that. But the idea behind this podcast or the inspiration behind this podcast episode was to give people an insight to what a career path in geography might look like, what a career path in GIS might look like. Okay, let's dive in. Hey Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming along today, really appreciate it and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Today we're going to be talking about your career as a professional geographer. Uh, but I think perhaps before we, we jump into that, perhaps you could just take a minute to introduce yourself to the audience. I, I know you have a PhD, perhaps we could start with your, your PhD and sort of work our way from there. Hi Daniel, thanks for having me. Um, I haven't done anything like this before, so this is a completely new thing. I've been involved in geospatial and geospatial technologies for about 22 years, right since the sort of early days of GIS. And yes, I have a PhD, the title of which is always very grand, um, which was Spatial Technologies to Support the Landscape Scale Approach to Catchment Management. And it looked at a wide range of spatial technologies from augmented reality to virtual reality. Of course, there was GIS in the background, uh, dynamic and 3D digital hubs, and how we can use those with stakeholders, virtual reality story maps, virtual walkthroughs, and citizen science. So it covered a whole range of spatially related technologies and then investigated how stakeholders use those and um, which was most used going forward. Thank you very much for, for that overview. From a previous conversation, I know that you have somewhere around 22 years experience in the industry and you describe yourself now as being a professional geographer. So a lot of the people I talk to on the podcast, that they would sort of tend towards describing themselves as that GIS analyst, a geospatial expert. Well, why do you describe yourself or refer to yourself as a professional geographer? Because I have two hats. Um, I think leading up to the PhD and the, the masters which I'd done before that I would have described myself as a GIS analyst and certainly the jobs which I did covered those kind of quite IT heavy GIS jobs which I love doing and um, once I started doing the masters then I became aware that the geography that I'd done at A level and GCSE and really liked could be brought into this GIS and I could start to approach projects and jobs from a different perspective I was becoming much more focused on being a geographer that had a very um, a significant background in in GIS so it's you know quite a wide broader range of understanding of GIS and so post PhD both those hats have been important to me the geospatial and the GIS work that I do but also the the river work and the catchment and the geography um, of the landscape and both of those they are they are two hats which I wear regularly. 
So I think perhaps what you're getting at there is what we sometimes refer to as subject knowledge. So oftentimes I see people that are experts in GIS. They have that real sort of technical understanding, that technical background, and they would definitely not describe themselves as a geographer. But I think when we talk about subject knowledge, we get more over into to geography. And you seem to have managed to straddle both these fields. Has that been an advantage or, or a disadvantage in terms of your career, do you think? I think it's an advantage. And I think having the GIS background, which I came to completely randomly, as, as we can talk more about as we go back to that, but I think going from the GIS background into the geography, the subject, the, the rivers that I work on, GIS has just become this incredible tool, which I use all the time. I think that's really important, that, that separation between kind of your understanding, your knowledge, your education and the tools that you use. Do you think sometimes we focus too much on the tools that we use? I think there is a distinction between the people that use the tools and the knowledge that they, they need to have to be able to use those tools well and the people that develop those tools and the way they need to understand how the client, client is going to use them. And I've always found a very definite distinction between those two groups in GIS. I started out and developed for a long time GIS products and environments for people to use and professionals to use and uh, planning inspectors from highways inspectors, a whole wide range of people who were using my GIS systems. And then I became much more interested in why they were using that data and how they were using my tools and why were they using them those ways. And that then led me back to being somebody who stood on the opposite side of the GIS divide, if there is a divide, you know, the other side of that. So I looked, I just use GIS as a tool now and I don't tend to get involved in the, the GIS development and the programming. I hope you don't mind me sort of staying with this point just for a few more seconds here. But I'd be really cur curious to know your take on it. Do you see equal amounts of opportunity in, in terms of the technical, the, the GIS, the analyst kind of path and, and the geography route? I think the GIS analyst path is easier to understand and get into because I think it, it marries up with the IT pathways which exist. I didn't find it easy to carve out a career as a geographer, but then that could have been because I was asking in the wrong places. I want to sort of dive into your education just a little bit. So we, we talked about your, your PhD. Would you mind sort of walking us through not, not so much the key points of your PhD, but, but what you feel like you got out of it and how that impacted your, your career going forward? I think to understand the PhD, it would be easier to start from the other side. And I think to ex explain the PhD and how I got to it, it would be better to start before that to what led up to it. When I was at school, um, I always liked geography and science and I was very fortunate to have really, really good teachers in both of those subjects. Um, but I really dislike maths and yet I've ended up in a career where I use all three of them every day. As a, as a hobby, I was involved with um, a lot of conservation work on rivers and on the boards which are wetland environment in Norfolk where I live. And I really fell in love with rivers, morphology, how we could do conservation on them. And so I went to go off and do environmental science and geography at A-levels, and I did my physical geography undergrad. But at that point, the career advisors couldn't really suggest what I could do from there on in. And I was a bit left float. You know, I had no real direction. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I didn't really have any way of finding out what I could do with this geography degree. So as a stopgap, I went and got a job as an IT 
um, desktop engineer uh, working at an insurance group at Norwich Union on their IT help desk. And it was meant to be a short term thing just while I worked out what I was going to do with my life. But I discovered that I really, really like talking with people and coming up with solutions and explaining as you have to repeatedly on an IT help desk, um, how to do these kind of technical things on the computers in a very accessible and understandable way for somebody else to understand you on the other end of a phone. And that was the start of the IT element of of my career. And I went on to work for local governments for over eight years, developing and supporting enterprise-scale GIS systems across multiple platforms with hundreds of users And starting as a technician and working my way up to be a lead on a wide range of projects that improved data quality and started to allow public to look at the data that was available to them, such as about where they could find their um, local school, what catchment were they in, um, when was their rubbish recycling day. All of this information was held in the databases at, at the in local government, that we could actually start to show people this information and they could start to find it out. And that was a very prescribed path. I think as many IT people that I started as desktop engineers with, they ended up in IT positions while I ended up in the GIS positions. But I became very interested in why this data was working the way it was. How do my users work with this information? What's to say that it's right? And that was where I made a jump from the GIS background over into much more of the geography of landscape and how data is collected. Would you mind if I just jump in here for a second? You, you got involved in the, in the IT side of geospatial and the technical side of geospatial, and, but, but you came into it as a geographer. Is, is that the, the correct way of understanding it? I think so, yes. I was a geographer and I wanted to do geography things, but I didn't really know how to get there. There didn't seem to be a career path. There didn't seem to be another degree I could go off and do. And I, I just needed a job. So I went and, and got into IT as a you know, as a as an engineer, as a technician at the, the bottom of the ladder, um, and and found that actually I really enjoyed this side of things. So I, I guess what what I'd be really interested to know here is your perspective on. So so do we need that subject knowledge? Because I, I'm imagining you weren't the only one there working developing the these these geospatial systems, these GIS systems that were used by you know a, a lot of people. They were public facing a lot of them, I would imagine as well. So they were important pieces of infrastructure. And you just came into it as a geographer and started working on on that. So you had the the geography, the, the geographical knowledge to help you understand what data made sense and, and how we should perhaps put it together, that kind of thing, manipulation of data in the background. But I'm assuming other people came into it just as IT people and just started working on it and were developing that subject knowledge along the way. Were, were there any clear benefits to you as a geographer who was learning the technical side of it, as opposed to the the, the technical people that were perhaps learning the ge- geographical side of it? I think I could understand much more easily how what the clients needed. So if the clients came to us and said, I really want to be able to either carry out a piece of analysis, say, on how many villages are along this bus route, an IT person might take that as almost a mathematical statement, count number of villages on bus route. Whereas a geographer might think, well, that's okay, but 
with the number of villages that are on this bus route, but how many people are getting a lift to the bus stop from a village that's just outside your area? Are you catching the number of people who might cycle to the bus stop from Hamlet? We have a very dispersed population in Norfolk. So it allowed me to um, push the client's request and make sure that the information they were getting back was much more likely to be accurate. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction, knowing and understanding what questions might be relevant here. I'd like to sort of move on now because it, it sounded like that you were that you were doing this job, you did it for a number of years, and then you got more interested in the geography side of it. Is this the point in your career where you went back to, to university? Yes. So I was offered um, the chance to join a distance learning master's at Southampton, and it was a master's in GIS and you could choose which uh, pathway you wanted to to follow. So there were all sorts of different pathways. And I chose the environment pathway because that was still very definitely an interest. We covered all different topics and and we had all these different classes on on GIS. And I started to actually understand a lot more of the um, theory behind GIS. The jump for me was at the end of the Masters. The final year project was tested pretty much all the GIS skills I ever I had gained to that point, which was to map tranquility uh, in, in a way that we could see whether or not it was possible to start to include it in an environmental impact assessment. So it's completely theoretical, but it took different models that other people had developed over time to map tranquility and wildness and to see whether we could replicate those models in varying levels of complexity. Um, and it was one of it was a really, really difficult thing to do. And I was fascinated. I was completely captivated by how we could model a subjective value across a landscape. And I, I, I just wanted to do more of that. I just wanted to do more landscape scale modelling. And I didn't want to do the GIS development anymore. Did you go directly from your, your master's to your PhD? No, I didn't. I was thinking about this. I was doing the master's while I was working. So there was some overlap with the government job that I was doing at the time which in a way was also beneficial because while other students on the course were having to learn their GIS database technologies on access I had I had the advantage of a test SQL server environment so I I could upscale a lot of the projects I had you know more resources which I could I could use um, and understand I'm looking back I was I did some I had a year working at an offshore company working on cables and wind farms and the GIS, that was that was still sort of supporting a GIS infrastructure for that company. And then the opportunity for the PhD came up and um, I started that about three years after I finished the Masters, I think. Perhaps you could just take a few minutes here to, to name some of those uh, key components of your, of your PhD for us, just so we have that fresh in our minds. And then perhaps sort of walk us through, if you've gone on to use these things in, in the wild, in, in your professional career. The PhD was done at the UEA in East Anglia. And one of the things that we have in Norfolk is we have chalk rivers. And chalk rivers are very special um, because they primarily, they, their source is groundwater fed. They have a particular mineral content. They support a particular uh, range of fish and ecology that you don't get in, in other river systems. And Having always had an interest in, in rivers, I wanted to you know, understand more about the catchment science. So I developed five case studies using different technologies with 
different volunteer groups and stakeholders that were working on chalk river catchments in Norfolk. So I didn't have any glorious fieldwork trips to hot countries like some of my friends studying volcanoes did. Uh, but I got to go out on lots of walkover visits to meet stakeholders and, and design the technology that I was going to use. The first case study used augmented reality to communicate the location in the landscape of ecosystem services, which some people refer to as nature's benefits, uh, such as uh, soil, um, you know, produces food. We have cattle, which produce food. We have uh, the river, which produces, uh, that gives us water. Uh, we have trees, which produce oxygen. All of these kind of quite functional components, which quite remote for many people to understand. I turned into little, little augmented reality points on a, on a walk through, through the landscape. Um, and then people came and, and tested the app and told me what they thought of it and whether they thought it was useful and, and things. And it was fascinating to see how some people really didn't like it. They, they didn't like having to look at a screen and look at around, around them at the same time. And some people turned it into a complete game to catch points in the same way that you, you go out and catch Pokemon or, or whatever it is. So that was good fun um, and I really enjoyed that. And then uh, looking at a whole catchment approach, I started to look at how we could use open source data and GIS to model ecological networks across a catchment landscape and then attach ecosystem services to them. You know, where are the areas of greatest value? What kind of values do we have? Not so much from an economic perspective, but from a a stakeholder perspective. You know, what do do people really enjoy seeing? Uh, What do people need? Food, water, flood defences. So that used um, GIS, uh, ArcGIS, uh, and a digital hub where lots of stakeholders could uh, put in lots of data. And the software which I used called Community Biz, which is a bolt-on to ArcGIS, uh, had been used in America for calculating uh, landscape change. But it hadn't been used over here. It was much more of a planning tool. And I used it to show how changes that the stakeholders in these stakeholder workshops uh, they would say, oh, that's that's a field, but I'd really like it to be a wood, for example, or that's a really straight piece of river, but I'd like it to be meandering. And how we could we could edit these in situ in the GIS. And rather than having to go back to the lab to create these 3D visualizations, we could render those visualizations in situ. So they were dynamic, so people could see the 3D model of their landscape the way they think it should look. And then we could take that away as researchers and look into why people have made those decisions and you know what kind of data had we collected so that was absolutely fascinating and I really really enjoyed working with the stakeholder groups that was that was brilliant the last part of the PhD I had planned to develop a game I was very interested in this idea of people making choices when there is no right or wrong answer about how some of these elements in the landscape are are managed and I really wanted to understand more about why people made those decisions So I wanted to develop a game to let people choose what was most important to them. What would their landscape look like if they only had 10 credits and they could spend two credits on a wood or whatever. But unfortunately, my programming skills let me down. And um, I just I just couldn't. I just, you know, that was an entire PhD in its own right. So I, at very short notice, decided to create a citizen science app for collecting data about uh, a river in Norfolk, which straddles the Norfolk and Suffolk border, and I called it River Eye, and it allowed people to collect information with some training on their mobile phones about the landscape um, and things that were going wrong and things that were going right, and feed it back to the organisation. And that was 
that again was brilliant and that's something which I want to do much more of because I think it's so useful. Wow, so, so you covered a lot of ground with your PhD and, and you looked at a, a lot of different technologies and a lot of different approaches. But if I, if I had to sort of try and sum, summarise things, I would definitely mention the word interactivity. So where people were making choices, they were actively involved, they were in the environment that they were, that, that, that they were interested in and they could make decisions about that environment or suggestions. Have any of these things benefited you in your career I mean obviously you learned a lot but have you been in a, a situation where people have have looked at that PhD looked at your previous experience and say wow I want to work with you because you have done these things because you have experience in, in these areas I think I think there's a couple of couple of times when that has stood me in good stead so at the end of your PhD in the UK you have a viva and it's an oral exam which mine was four hours long on your your work on what you've done and at the end of it I was told it was probably one of the more interesting PhDs the examiner had ever read because it was so practical because every single element of that PhD had gone outside academia and it had worked with practitioners on the ground and it was very accessible so the language that I'd used was very accessible and I took away from that to be able to work with a wide range of stakeholders and understand different perspectives and be able to bring together people who have very different opinions and some may shout louder than others, but be able to work with all of the stakeholders and give them all an equal opportunity to be heard. Since the PhD, I have worked in a couple of project officer roles where I've needed to have those skills to work, not necessarily with GIS, but certainly in a, in a project sense with that kind of stakeholder group. And so that skill, that soft skill from the PhD has been incredibly valuable as I go forward. And I currently have one project on which is working with crowdsourced data and that wide range of stakeholders. And so, yes, I suspect that the reason that I had that project brought to me was because I had had experience of those citizen science type approaches during the PhD. When I think about you, the little bit that I understand about your PhD, it seems once again you're, you're really sort of crossing that divide. You've, you've got the technical understanding or brought together the, the technical tools and the, the sort of more geographer approach to things where you're engaging a lot of different stakeholders. And th there's a really sort of beautiful combination there of technical understanding and you know, engaging actual people in your work, getting them to take or getting them to be involved. Are you sometimes afraid that technology moves so fast that you'll sort of lose that, that technical understanding, that you won't be able to keep up with, with the newest technologies? It's a very interesting question. Um, I used GIS a lot during the PhD, and obviously previous to that I was developing it, I was using it every single day. I had a period of time of probably about 18 months after the postdoc finished, where I wasn't using GIS every day, where I didn't even have GIS installed on my machine. I was doing other kind of project-related um, activities. And yet it's come back. It's like riding a bicycle. You don't forget. The, the technology may have changed slightly. There's been a big shift, obviously, from ArcGIS desktop onto ArcGIS online. But fundamentally, the things that I want to do are the same. I can just go away and I have those skills to be able to go and find out how to do something new. The geospatial community has quite a lot of excellent forums such as Stack Exchange and 
the ESG forums themselves, the FME community forums. And there's always somebody you can go and you can go and ask or you can say, I've done this and I've done this. And I used to do this operation in this way, but I think there's probably a quicker way. And someone will say, oh, yes, if you take, you know, if you if you try that or have you tried this? So even if you're outside of the technology world for a wee while, I do think it is possible to go back in because ultimately that's where the expertise and 22 years experience comes in. I know it's possible to do this. It's just what do I need to do with this version of the technology? One of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the podcast was because you've got this really sort of broad look or understanding of, of geography, of the of the geospatial industry. You've been involved in many different parts of it. And I really like that part of your story, that, that part that says that, you know, just because I haven't been involved in these technologies for with these technologies in, in a while, I can still come back to it. My understanding will still let me find out what it is I need to do. Like, okay, before we used to use a red knife, now the tool of choice is the blue knife or a spoon and a fork kind of thing to solve the same problem. And I guess my point with this is that I think some people think that they have to choose. They have to be either that uh, technologist, which is just in the weeds, in the machine room programming in lots of different languages, keeping up to date with the latest technologies, or that sort of people-facing person. But you seem to have spanned both camps. Yeah, um, I like doing both things. Um, I've been asked to do some processing work recently, which has been pure, unadulterated geek. There is no getting away from the fact that it is burying myself in models and process that is extremely good fun and hugely satisfying when it works. But equally, I know that once the COVID um, issues about site walkovers is uh, are over then i will be just as delighted to go out and carry out a walkover survey on an nfm or natural flood management project and take some aerial photography and that will make me just as happy and i feel incredibly fortunate to be able to do both of those things sometimes during the arc of of a career we, we go through these different uh, hops or steps is there any sort of major steps in terms of skills or perhaps things that needed you needed to learn or have learned along the way that have been particularly impactful for, for your career I think I mean there was certainly the jump out of the technical environment into an academic environment and I found the, the getting up to speed with the you know how do I design this app or how do I do this was very easy because that's what I had the background in but I found it incredibly difficult to get used to the academic writing environment and um, that the research side of the PhD was very very difficult for me to do Um, but I took out of that the ability to write in different to to understand how we communicate in different ways so I think that strengthened my ability to talk between different groups of stakeholders with different levels of expert understanding. Could you perhaps give an example of a task that, that's on your desk right now in your in your current position where, where that's really helpful? Just so the listeners have, have an understanding of, of that, how it's impacted your career or continues to impact your career today? I've got, I've got quite a few projects on my desk at the moment. I think the project which is most helpful, where the PhD has been most helpful, is probably working on the Slow Ways Community Project, where I have conversations with the volunteers that have worked on the project, um, where I have conversations with the project manager who has designed and put together the whole concept. Um, I have conversations with the web developer and designer. So I have all these different groups of people who are coming at it at different ways, using different levels of technical language and with different levels of ge- geographical understanding. And I am talking to all of them. 
Yeah, I, I've said this time and time again on the podcast. I think uh, communication is really, really important. And I, I think sometimes, I think we talked about it earlier, was that separation between people and the tools that they use is also really important. I completely understand uh, people getting excited or enthusiastic about, about a tool that they love that helps them get to wherever they want to go. But I hope that people understand that there are a lot more than their tools. And I, I really wish there was a little bit more focus on that communication side of things, of bridging the gap between the technical understanding and the people that are potentially going to be impacted by the technologies that we're creating. You mentioned a few different projects. You said you had a few different projects, varied projects on your desk at the moment. Would you mind just sort of giving us a brief overview of some of the projects that you're working on right now? Absolutely. I don't think there are many careers where you can have this level of diversity across projects which which are being worked on. Um, I mentioned the Slowways project previously. It is um, a network set up to create an entire network of uh, walking walking routes between settlements. And it was running all through last year and volunteers have come together and put those routes you know, digitise those routes in. And I'm working as a GIS expert, I suppose, on that project to help tidy up some of the uh, route elements and put it into a GIS model so that it's applicable in, in more circumstances and, and really just bringing in the data management side of things and then overlaying that with other data sets which exist, such as Kareen land use data. So that's, that's a very GIS quite GIS-based, but where I need to talk to lots of different stakeholders who are involved. A second project is, uh, which I've got going on is for proposed onshore wind farm in Scotland. So I'm undertaking the GIS-based calculations of the likelihood of peat landslides, uh, which will then feed into a peat landslide hazard and risk assessment, which has to be done as part of environmental impact assessment process in Scotland. So that may also, because we also write peat management plans, that may feed into that because we use GIS and ground surveys to show where there are potential opportunities for peat restoration. And we can do that using any materials excavated during the construction. And we've been exploring with the peat elements the use of 3D visualisations for clients so that they can then in turn communicate with a wider range of their stakeholders. So those are two projects. The third one, which I've, which will be finishing off this week, will be an offshore wind farm. And this one is a lot of data management in developing a method to evaluate uh, the likelihood of cables being damaged when they're laid on or buried in the seabed. And these can be damaged by fishing activities and ships if they have to anchor in emergency. So we're evaluating risk to the cables. And to do that, we've used a wide range of data, including ship activity, geotechnical data. And I work with our geotechnical engineer to evaluate the effectiveness of different burial methods. So this is a project where we have a considerable amount of engineering data provided. So we've got to move just between the GIS data and the engineering data and we have to be incredibly accurate and very precise. So usually I'll be working on two or three projects in different projections, and they all have different data types. So a fairly key element of being a geospatial person is to be really, really well organised. Just out of curiosity, so there's quite a few different projects there. You mentioned three of them, very, very, very diverse stuff. Do these people, like when you get a project like this, is it already scripted? Do you know exactly what you need to do, what technologies you need to use to, to solve the problem or you know, create the deliverable? I'm also wondering if the clients understand as well. Do they 
Do they come and say, I, the report needs to look exactly like this, the data needs to look like this, we need to display it, visualise it, analyse it in exactly this way, or are they expecting you to provide a lot of that sort of knowledge and understanding? It really varies. Um, it depends on the project and on the relationship that we have with the client. So some clients we will have a, a very collaborative approach with and we can explore new ways of doing things. Other um, clients, particularly if it's in its third or fourth iteration, we need to make sure that we follow the exact methodology which has been done in the past. So it, 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 it does vary. So you mentioned three different projects that you're working on at the moment, and they're all very diverse. Is there anything we can learn from that diversity, apart from that if you're working as a geographer, you might be working on diverse projects? Is there anything else we can we can learn from that? Yes, I think being open-minded. Um, I think being open-minded about the way we solve spatial problems that land on our desk, and I think being open-minded about the types of technology and the uh, software that we use. So 10 years ago, I would have always defaulted to Esri products, always. That that would be the way that I did things. Now I use a whole, uh, a much wider range of GIS tools, such as ET GeoWizards. Um, I use QGIS uh, on my machine. Um, I'm not averse to trying out new ideas and on um, various forums. Uh, it's obvious that there's many ways to skin a cat when it comes to doing doing GIS analysis. Yeah, again, I really like that idea of not being married to your tools, of not being married to a single way of solving a problem and being open-minded just in general in terms of our approach to our work, you know, how we get people from where they are now to where they want to be. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to sort of hammer that message home. I think it's about adaptation. Um, all of the uh, pieces of software which are used in the GIS uh, in in the PhD project, um, they were all adapted. So the augmented reality tool was used, I think, in Amsterdam to show the distance between to a hotel. So you could put your phone in the air um, and you could look around you and see how far away you were from a hotel or lodging and it would give you the direction you needed to walk in. I took that and I adapted it to show where you know, there were nature's benefits in the landscape and how far away you were from them and, and linked to further information. The digital hub came from an idea around, um, it was used for climate change analysis in Canada. And I took that and used it for community mapping of catchment science. The last PhD project, which was a success, was uh, RiverEye. Well, that was developed on the platform of EpiCollect, which is developed to carry out citizen science projects around health so all of these tools have been adapted and we can take with so much development and innovation in geoscience that if we look and keep and stay open-minded, we can see how other people have done something and we can say, oh, look, yeah, we, maybe we could use that. Maybe we could do a bit of that. Exactly. Standing on the shoulders of giants. Absolutely. What advice would you give to others that were starting out in the, in the geospatial world? Um, a difficult one. I think because... When I started out, there really wasn't a geoscience environment. It, it didn't exist. And so I'm always a little bit cautious of um, giving advice to people who are starting with this much um, innovation that's already taken place. I think finding something that you're interested in is really important alongside the GIS technology that you might be using. So coming up with a um, not necessarily a speciality, but something where you can feel really, really confident in your little part of geoscience and then work outwards from there. 
Are you referring to the idea that we talked about before of being a subject matter expert? I think so, yes. But I think that that relates particularly to people who might be coming to it from the geography perspective. I think if you're coming from it from the geospatial perspective, I think there are so many elements to geospatial technology. You've got your databases, you've got your online web development, you've got the cloud side of things, you've got the programming languages, you've got all of these different, you've got the client user interface, all of these. So if you find an area, if you find one part of it that you really you know, you're really confident with, then start there um, and, and work outwards because it will all fit together eventually. And just one final question before I let you go. Is there anything, when you look at uh, geography, when you think about geospatial, is there any one thing that you're particularly excited about at the moment? Probably drones. I think the potential of overhead drones and UAVs for mapping landscape change is, is really exciting. Sarah, I really want to thank you for your time. Thank you for coming along today, sharing your story, teaching us all a little bit more about what a career in geography might look like. I really appreciate it. And I've really enjoyed listening to your experience and hearing your insights. It's been great. Would you mind just letting the listeners know where they can go to reach out to you if they have questions or want to connect with you? I mean, thank you for having me. Um, It's been really interesting to see my career from another perspective. I can be found on LinkedIn. And I'm on Twitter as Happy Mapper. So you can, you can find me in those two places. Thanks again, Sarah. It's, it's been a really enjoyable conversation. Thanks, Daniel. Bye-bye. Well, I, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation between myself and Sarah. I thought she did a really amazing job of sharing her insights and especially that uh, some, some of the insights, some of her thoughts around choosing between that technologist role where we focus on the technology side of things where we dive into the engine room learn how to program and get excited about the different tools that we can use and that sort of more client facing that more sort of typical geography side of things and I think Sarah's done a great job of straddling both the both these different worlds and hopping back and forth but between the two depending on you know her interests at the time I thought it was really interesting to hear her saying that um, she, she wasn't afraid of, of missing out or falling behind in terms of the technology side of things because she had the understanding. She understood the problem. She knew that it could be solved. It was just a question of being able to filter through the available tools and technologies, figure out which was the best one and apply that to her situation. Yeah, so I, I thought that was that was really interesting. And I hope that I hope that you got a lot of value out of this podcast episode. That's it from me. Thank you very much for tuning in again this week. I really appreciate it. My name is Daniel. You can find me on social media. You are more than welcome to reach out to me. There is an email form on our website, mapscaping.com. I would, I would love to hear from you. I'll be back again next week with another episode, so I hope that you take the time to tune in then. Until then, bye.